Welcome, welcome. Whether you are watching from Atlanta, Georgia, if you're watching from Canada, if you're watching from Washington last week, if you're watching from Colorado, I don't know where you're coming from, but we just want to say welcome. In fact, again, my name is Andy Ramirez. I'm the lead pastor. We would love for you to send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram of an address. We can send some, what do we call it, church merch? Some church merch to you. We would love to send that to you. You are welcome here. Amen and amen. Hey, we are in a series called Honest Moments. Honest Moments. Turn to your neighbor and just tell someone, he is knocking at the door. Turn to the person behind you and say, he is knocking at the door. And that'll be the title of the sermon this morning, but we have been in the book of James for the last four weeks. Anybody like going through the book of James? Anybody felt convicted? Anybody felt encouraged, challenged, right? We've been pausing as a church to say, hey, we might feel like we've arrived or, you know, we feel like we have it all together. And then you open up the word of God and you realize that the book of James is like looking into a mirror for the past four weeks. Anybody else been there? I've been there. Takes it to a whole new level. And whether you're watching online or in the room, I just want to say welcome again. I love being your pastor. I mean that. I don't just say that to be cliche. Okay, hey, that's the right thing to say at this moment. I, I actually just... Watching you guys greet each other, like, it just makes me emotional. Like, I just love getting to do what I get to do for the glory of God. So would you just bow your heads with me as we pray this morning? Father, I just ask that over the next few moments that I would not get in the way of what you want to do. Lord, I'm not here to impress people. I'm not here to make someone like me or the church more, I'm here to deliver a message that you have ordained for this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we know that you're already with us, but I just challenge you, if you're watching online or in the room, would you just open up your hands as a sign of surrender to God? Not for me, not for the pastor, but just to God, to say, God, I'm, I'm going to lay down my pride to hear from you. Lord, Psalm 24 says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, those who have clean hands and a pure heart. That it all begins with a posture of humility. It all begins with a posture with our arms outstretched to say, Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. There's nothing that we could do to take care of ourselves. But every good and perfect gift, as James says, comes from the Father above. So Lord, over the next few moments, I ask that you would anoint me afresh, that I would be able to be your vessel we're going to give you glory in advance, and it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen and amen. The book of James was written in A.D. 50-ish, and James is actually one of the brothers of Jesus. Could you imagine being a biological brother of Jesus, watching him grow up, growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man? I mean, Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, spending time at the temple. His parents are like, where are you at? He's spending time with his father, right? And then later on, James was one of the witnesses of the, the account of the resurrection. So James was pausing around AD 50 to say, I need to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, I need to take some time to encourage someone. Turn to your neighbor and just say, I want to encourage you. He, he said, there's too many things going on in this world, too many negative thoughts, too many points of division, too many things that are getting people offended. That I just need to encourage this group of scattered believers 
And it's believed contextually, historically, that this group of believers that he's writing to were persecuted, physically persecuted. We, we don't probably know what that's like in the United States, although our brothers and sisters, even in today, modern day, are getting baptized in China, in Africa, and the same day they get baptized, they could lose their life, right? And to be honest, I think the book of James, as we're looking into the mirror, I think for so many of us, right, it's challenged the strength of our faith. Chapter 1 talked about persevering under trial, right? Chapter 2 talked about having eyes for the one. Do you see people the way Jesus sees people, or do you see people for the way you see them? Chapter 3 talked about taming the tongue. Last week we talked about drawing near to God, submitting ourselves to him, right? Letting the devil flee from a posture of humility. Are you with me? So this brings up, brings up chapter 5. And the title of my sermon this morning is Knocking at the Door. Knocking at the Door. James 5, if you want to follow on your physical Bible, it'll be up on the screen here. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. He starts off a little heavy. Are you with me, right? It's a little heavy. Your wealth has rotted. And what's so amazing about the Word of God is, although this is written in A.D. 50, the Word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So it's going to speak right to our situation this morning. Whether you came in feeling financially blessed, where you came in financially hurting or worried, or maybe you're just wrestling with a scarcity mindset, the Word of God is alive and active, able to speak to your very situation. Are you thankful for that? Verse 3, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last Days. I mean, just feel the weight of that. Let's go back to verse 3. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The title of the sermon is Knocking at the Door. And theologically, we're going to unpack what that means. But James is getting ready to tell us that Jesus is knocking at the door. That we don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know if we have 10 more days, if we have 10 more years. But how many of y'all believe that Jesus will come again? Amen and amen. That is great news, right? But it's good news only if you have believed in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. At the same time, it could be an encouragement to some and a warning to others, right? We talked about last week that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe at one church there is no like ten ways to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to heaven. And for such a time as this, we have to come back to the basics of the gospel, And so my fear for those who are watching online or in the room is that you will bow a knee to Jesus for the first time at Judgment Day. It's my job as a pastor to encourage you to not do that. To bow a knee way before and then when Jesus comes back, it'll be good news. Can I get an amen? This is eternity on the line. This is the Bible. So here we are, verse 3. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. I mean, literally just pause and think about the time, talent, and treasure that's been entrusted to you. And when we say wealth, we often think of financial wealth. But what about the wealthy platform that he has given you to speak into a business that you're in charge of, a staff that he's entrusted to you, a family, kids? What are we doing in the last days? Look, the wages you failed to pay your workers and who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters, the cries of the poor who reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. This would definitely be a prophetic word to the American church today. 
You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now, this is, this is heavy. Obviously, this is a really heavy way to start. This is the first point, if you're taking notes, if you're following along online. God is our provider. Can we just say that all together? Let's just read. God is our provider. Anybody thankful for that this morning? James 1, 16 through 17. Let's reverse back to chapter 1 for a second. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Like the world says that you're lucky, but, but James says you're blessed. There is no such thing as luck. But there is this thing we call grace and favor and mercy and blessing. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Just the fact that you have a roof over your head. You have food on the table. You have your heart that's still beating. You might even have a pacemaker, but God is still with you. Just the fact that you're alive. There's air in your lungs this morning. This is the grace, the fingerprint, the mercy of God. And you might not even realize that. Yeah, and that's okay. From the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is a firm foundation for you to build your life upon. Jesus Christ, your cornerstone. The Word of God. So let me tell you a really serious story. Are you ready? Coco Melon. Anybody with me? All right. If I didn't have a one-year-old, I probably would not talk about this, all right? Any, any parents in the house today? Okay, all right. So, grandparents, give it up for the grandparents one time. Come on. I know we got some grandparents in my side, Lean's side. All right. So, Coco Melon, um, my daughter loves these, and, and the, the thing that she's been saying over and over, can I just say that being a dad of Aliana, like, like that's one of the best jobs in the whole world, if not my most favorite job. Because I get to see this little beautiful creation of God just start to blossom, right? And she starts to sing. She starts to dance. She's, she's listening to every word I say. So I need to be careful. Are right? you with me, right? Like when I told you a few weeks ago when I said, oh, my gosh. She's walking around the house. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. And uh, what's funny, though, is her, her favorite thing right now is JJ. JJ. Anybody with me? Okay. Coco Melon fans. And then, like, any parents out there, like, you catch yourself just, like, humming it subconsciously. Like, you're at the computer, and you're just like, oh, man, not at a farm. You're just like, you got to take a step back for a second, right? Or I just walked down the hallway. I swear, I was walking out of my kitchen. I'm like, hickory dickory. You know, you're like, you got to get, like, the little prance to it, too. Like, all of a sudden, like, like, Leanne's and I, there's, like, a country song where all of a sudden she was just, like, getting a hoedown going. I was like, what is happening to us? Why? What on earth? And uh, what's funny, though, is like we got her this Coco Melon coloring book. Or I think you did, Lienza, from Target. Target's got that little section. When you go shopping with your wife, avoid that first section from Target. You know what I'm talking about? They catch you. You're walking in. You're looking for, oh, my goodness, all the holiday stuff. Oh, my, you know, right? And so we got this Coco Melon coloring book. And you know what I love is giving her a gift but watching her enjoy it. Like, that brings so much joy to my heart as a father. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a J.J. Coco Melon coloring book. But just to see her eyes light up, right? And she knows, we, we got this for you. Like, like we took time aside to, to get this, to bring a smile to your face. Like, you need to know this. I'll put this up on the screen. God blesses us just because he loves us. Like, that is the gospel. 
And the moment I say that, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, no, no. But like, but like, what if I wasn't a good person? What if I looked at something last night? Like, what about all the mistakes that I made in my past, sexual relationships I had with people? Like, I used to smoke, like all that. But God blesses us just because he loves us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean it up. He didn't wait for you to get it all together. I heard someone say it like this this week, that Jesus took a step of vulnerability before you ever did. And not just vulnerability, but of absolute torture. He was humiliated on the cross for you before you ever even had a good thought about him. He blesses us just because he loves us, right? And I think over the next few minutes, you might feel in two camps, right? Like maybe you feel blessed and you feel guilty for being blessed. I'd say guilt and shame do not come from the Father, right? There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Guilt comes from the evil one. And some of you might have a blessed family or a blessed house or a blessed job. Can I just encourage you this morning? You don't have to feel bad about that. That's the grace and the mercy of God. And I know people are suffering around you and you're trying to be generous. You're trying to help them. But don't feel shame where God spoke blessing into your life. That's not a burden he's calling you to carry. Or maybe you feel like you're in a different camp. Maybe your temptation is just to hoard. And we know that hoarding is probably not the root, but fear might be the root this morning. See, we just sang about this, Jehovah Jireh. Let's say this together, Jehovah Jireh. What that means is the Lord is my provider. When, when we sing Jireh over and over, we are training our hearts that God is my God. I'm not my own God. Now, my boss is not my God. My workplace is not my provider. That check is not my provider. My house is not my provider. This political party that's in rain right now, they're not my provider. But God above, the Lord, Yahweh, He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds my life in the palm of His hands. So no matter what happens, I can sing Jira. God is my provider. But there's a difference between these two, a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. I think some of us this morning, we don't need a change in our circumstances. We need a change in our mindset. And for some of us in, in need, God wants to bless that. He wants to generously bring people to bless you with a check in your mailbox. We're like, I don't know how I'm unemployed, but God just keeps showing up. Or I said I wouldn't take that vacation. Like literally, can I just say like that's a humble position to be in as a pastor. Like we didn't have money to take a vacation. You guys blessed us to be able to do that a couple weeks ago. Like we serve a God of abundance. Everybody just say abundance. So we have to address our mindset first. Before we talk about wealth, before we talk about money, before we talk about how we're using it. What is your mindset? What is your view of God? I heard someone say it like this, you know, there's this phrase that, that we say as believers that there's a seat at the table for me. Are you with me? That, that, that in the end, when Jesus comes back, he's not just knocking on the door, but when he comes to bring us home, there's this thing called the wedding feast, right? Where we will eat with one another. You know, whether you are Democrat or Republican, we will be one in Christ. Amen? We'll be eating together, different races, ethnicities. That's part of the reason why we called our church one church for such a time as this. But when we eat with one another, I heard someone say it like this, that hell on the flip side is a place where you're always fighting for a seat at the table. I mean, think about that for a second. Hell is eternal. 
It's eternal torment. And you're forever fighting for a seat at the table, forever fighting to be noticed, forever fighting for someone to just show you or give you a little bit. Hell is all under a scarcity mindset. There's only a little bit of love to go around. There's only a little bit of affirmation to go around. But heaven is, everybody say, abundant. Are you grateful for that? Let's start at the base level and address the root first. So Psalm 37 says this. The blameless spend their days. Just just let this wash over you from the Old Testament. The blameless, the righteous, those who know Christ, who have surrendered themselves to his will. Yeah, you might not be perfect, but you are doing your best to be surrendered to him. You will spend your days under the Lord's care as he is your provider. And their inheritance will endure forever. Verse 19, catch this. In times of disaster, I know right now a lot of people say we're living in a recession. You might agree with that. You might be thinking of 2008. You might be thinking, I don't know what could happen tomorrow. Let let, let verse 18 just wash over you. Verse 19. In time of disaster, we will not wither. We will be just fine. Even in famine, we will enjoy plenty. This is the people of God. The psalmist later says that I've never seen the righteous begging for bread, but generously lending freely. Are you with me? The Lord is our provider. And I felt this in my spirit as I was praying here this morning, that for some of us, our mindset is not just in our mind, but it's a generational cycle that needs to be broken this morning in Jesus' name. That maybe you've seen your parents penny pinch all day long, and it just got really quiet. Uh-oh, right? That there's, there's only so much. We have to like guard every single thing. I mean, maybe give a little bit to the waitress, but maybe not more than 15%. I mean, they didn't really do that good of a job. I mean, they were kind of here for my Diet Coke, but I'm writing 12%. I'm, I'm, I'm being for real. Like, aren't you grateful that God doesn't treat us that way? Amen. Well, they, they kind of read their Bible. I mean, they kind of came to church, so, so I only blessed them a little bit. No, no, no. It says in Scripture, while we were faithless, he remains faithful. Like, this is about our heart. This is about how we see God as provider. This is not about your bank account. This is not about writing checks. We're not doing a big giving project today. But we're talking about our heart. So here's the second point for us this morning. As we get to more of the practical, and the pastor is going to be talking about money this morning. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Point number two, money can be a tool or an idol. Money can be a tool or an idol. Let's go back to Matthew. These are Jesus' words. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's how I would say it this morning in my notes, though. Money is not evil. Our heart is. Money is a tool. I mean, money can help build an orphanage in Africa, or it can make a statue of someone to bring on worship to themselves. Money isn't in the root, like it's not evil. I mean, yeah, like scripture's talking about money is the root of all evil, but really it's getting at the heart because you can be entrusted with something and abuse it or use it for God's glory. You can be entrusted with a nice house to host people or to hoard everything. Proverbs says, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
It's not a sin to have a nice car. It's not a sin to have a nice pair of tennis shoes. But here's what it is. A sin is this. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's a sin to hoard wealth. Because in many situations, God has given some of us, maybe even watch online, the gift of giving. The gift of generosity, as someone would say. That, yeah, we're all called to be generous. But there's some people where God just puts his hand on their family financially. And it's not just because he loves you. But it's because he is entrusting you dollar by dollar, to take care of a community, to take care of the poor, to look after the orphans, the widows. I say it like this. It's not a sin to have nice things, but it is a sin when those nice things have you. I don't know how that hits you. Maybe you're really mad at me. Maybe you're upset at me. Maybe you just decided I'm tuning out uh, when the Colts play for something. Okay, all right. I don't know where you're at. But I challenge you to hang with me for a second. Matthew, Jesus says this, Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures, everybody say, in heaven. In heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. I know maybe some of you recently have had a loved one pass away. Maybe it was through COVID. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was a tragic situation recently. And if they were a believer in Jesus, do you realize that they are rejoicing in their eternal inheritance right now? Kept for them with their name on it before the beginning of time. But Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's get into the practical here for a second. I really, as your pastor and as your leader, I'm I'm learning myself. I want to unpack this with you. Let's go to Numbers 18.26 for a second. We'll bring it back to James. So this is an Old Testament principle of the tithe. Numbers 18.26. Speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present, everybody say, a tenth. A tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Now as we look into the New Testament, we don't see that the tithe is commanded. Okay, you're right. Like some of you are like, okay, praise God. But here's what happens in the New Testament. It's taken a level above. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you've heard it said this, but I say this. That since we are under, everybody said the new covenant. See, since we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace, that when the Holy Spirit, everybody said the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, it was our invitation to say, this is all about relationship with God. And because this is about relationship and not ritual or religion, actually out of the generosity, the overflow of my heart, I don't want to just give 10%. I want to do above and beyond because it's a blessing. Are you with me? And for some of us, we're waiting for it to be a command when really it's an opportunity to honor God, to fall in love with Him even deeper, to change more lives, to expand the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I'd say it like this, as I've been working through this with mentorship, the tithe, the 10%, is the floor, it's not the ceiling. That the New Testament actually calls us even higher. It says, let me challenge you to a new level. This is what my mentor told me as we were unpacking this together. You cannot be a spiritual leader in the church without leading and giving. And I know that's a hard word for some of us, right? 
And for some of us, if we're being real, it's like, okay, God, like, I want to give you my time. Like, I'm trying to spend time in your word. And and I'm trying to, like, see myself the way you do. I'm trying not to, like, you know, talk about people behind their backs. And, like, I think I'm fully surrendered to you. And then, like, the word money comes up, and we just kind of, like, back off a little bit. And I heard a pastor say like this. It's like, you're almost like, God, like, weren't we just getting to know each other? Can we just, like, take this slow for a second, right? But the tithe is the floor, it's not the ceiling. And if you want to be a spiritual leader in the church, to be like Paul and say, follow me as I follow Christ. If you're not leading in generosity, you cannot be trusted to lead. So here's how I'd say it, and I know I'm, I'm stepping on toes, you might already hate me. Until you trust God with your wallet, you will not fully trust him. You just won't. There will be a cap to your trust. And the the amazing part, to take it a step further, the blessing and the grace of this is God does bless financial obedience. Now, the moment I say this, you're like, okay, he might be a prosperity preacher. I, I, I think the prosperity gospel is a heresy. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But the pendulum might swing all the way over here to the to the poverty gospel. Well, we're always just going to suffer. We're, we're always only going to have barely enough. Maybe that is your generational cycle that needs to be broken in Jesus' name this morning. No, no, God is a God of abundance. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry who's in office. I don't have to worry about what the gas prices are. I will, in Jesus' name, be taken care of. Because God is sovereign. God is in control. He blesses financial obedience, but in different ways than we expect. And the goal of giving is not to just get it back. Are you with me? Jesus on the cross willingly laid down his life no matter our response. Are you with me this morning? That giving is about our heart. It's not about, well, if I give, then I'll get it back a hundredfold. Or if I give this, maybe God will bless me with a nicer car, a nicer house. No, no, no. Jesus said no matter how they respond, I am willingly for the joy set before me. This is about the gospel. I lay it down no matter what. My pastor at Trinity would call this charity, giving no matter the response back. But the good news is God does bless financial obedience. There are certain principles that he has outlined in our life that aren't just like, well, maybe he might. No, God puts his hand and says, you're living in obedience to me. My favor, my blessing is upon you. It's so simple. So let's look at what Corinthians says, the New Testament. Remember this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 if you want to go back to this. This is one of the best places in the New Testament we have to look at giving. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Can I just say this? We don't pass a plate at one church very intentionally. This is a cultural thing for us because we never want anyone to give under pressure. We never want someone to give because, okay, the plate's coming to me. I might as well throw in a $2 bill. Anybody got a $2 bill? Oh, no, all right. I might as well throw something. No, no, no. No, no. The New Testament is like, no. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided to give, not under compulsion, for God, let's just read this together. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because it's about your heart. It's not about the money. It's not even necessarily about how much. It's about are you fully yielded to him in every area of your life? Fully trusting him. Some of you might be saying in your heart, man, I want to trust God. Do you realize that surrender and trust go hand in hand? 
that you cannot trust God if you haven't surrendered to Him. That the moment you surrender, that's when you have to trust God, right? Because I am taking a leap of faith. I don't know what may happen. I saw it on Erin's Facebook. What a beautiful quote she was talking about. That taking a leap of faith looks like in your mind's eye, you're about to step onto a cracked pavement, right? And it's really a firm foundation. This is, this is faith. This is trust. So verse 9. Let's go back to, to verse 7. Sorry. He loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Not under pressure, not of, out, of, out of obligation, but out of opportunity, right? Then when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, you begin to see people differently. You begin to see situations differently. And you begin to walk around with eyes and say, who could I bless? How could I freely pay for someone's coffee? They might not even expect this to happen. How can I bless the waitress way over and beyond and just tell her it's just because God loves her? You don't even have to invite them to church to say, well, it's all because of one church. No, no. Like, just because God loves them. How are we demonstrating the gospel? Not just with words, but with actions. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. What's so amazing, I just shout out EP. They just had this grand opening called P30 on the east side of Indianapolis. Can we give it up for that? I got a little woo. Come on. Shout out to EP, everything she's poured in. But what's so beautiful I'm going to try to get your, your mission statement right, okay? Disrupt inequality, ignite hope, and launch prosperity. So when I say the east side, a lot of us are like, I don't know if I've ever been to the east side. I don't know if I would go there. We're just being real, right? And P30, she's the marketing and PR director there, and her and Tamise Cross, who is the executive director, they just had this grand opening of a, at least 45,000 square foot building, 90,000, I can't remember, double that, just, okay, cool. Hey, hey, double portion? No, I'm just playing. But, but God and this group of leaders who are all believers, they said, we're going to rewrite the narrative of the east side of Indianapolis. And we're going to launch prosperity, not to make us look good, not to make a statue of ourselves. Every single one of those leaders at the grand opening said, God did this. We cannot take credit for this. Launching prosperity, why? To bless the community. To say, we're freely giving. We don't just have enough, we have more than enough. So you will be enriched in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. This is where the New Testament takes it a step further. We're not just saying, hey, what's the bare minimum of what I can do to like honor God? If you're asking that question this morning, your heart's probably not in the right place. If you're asking the question, what's the bare minimum I could do, then this conversation is halted. But if you're saying, what is the overflow, the abundant? When you're in love with someone, you don't want to just do the bare minimum. Are you with me? But for Leanza, my spouse, I want to ask the question, what could I do to to blow her away? What could I do to show her that I'm just pouring out my love on her, right? But we're in a relationship with God. Why don't we treat it the same way? We're not asking, what's the bare minimum? What is the overflow? Everybody say the overflow. So that you can be, let's go uh, back to the last slide. So you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I can't tell you literally at Starbucks, pay for someone's coffee, don't say a word and watch how God will glorify that. 
Watch how God will honor that. Hey, just in the name of Jesus, just take this. It will result in people taking note. Man, these Christians aren't just a bunch of talk. They are about the walking this out. And for such a time as this, where there is so much division politically, so much division racially, what would it look like to see a church that is under the radar blessing people everywhere we go? 12 Stone, our partner church, we're going there right after church, flying to Atlanta, Georgia. They're in a series that they've been doing called Daymaker. What would it look like to make someone's day? Isn't that powerful? So simple. But the Lord commands us in Scripture, don't just honor them with your words, but show them by action. What if you walked around all day, not just, okay, what's the bare minimum? I got to read this much Scripture. I got to go to my small group. No, no, no. When you have the Holy Spirit, you realize this is all about opportunity. Everywhere I walk, I walk into a classroom. I'm not saying me. I'm just saying I'm putting myself in your shoes. We're walking through the community. How could I partner them with this? And how could we bless them? How could, like, this is a kingdom mindset. This is not a scarcity mindset. This is a kingdom mindset because we know we will never run out in Jesus' name. He is in control. So the slide I was about to go to, generosity flows from thankfulness. Another way to say it would be this. Be a river and not a lake. That as God entrusts you with things, it doesn't just sit. You're not just trying to protect it. I mean, it's really clear in Matthew. One day, the only thing we're going to take to heaven is us and people. You can't take your retirement fund. You can't take your, your bank account. You can't take, like I know there's, there's stewardship principles here, so don't hear me wrong. We want to leave an inheritance for our kids and our kids' kids, right? But when heaven comes, when the judge is knocking at the door, the only thing you can take with you is other people. Kingdom mindset, kingdom eyes. And some of you might be hearing me this morning, you might be like, Andy, I, I hear you, I want to believe you, but I don't really feel like I'm in a situation to give right now. Like, like I just got married, or I'm about to get married, or like I'm out of a job right now, or and I'm not going to overlook these issues. I know growing up, like my dad and I, we had some really, really cool moments, father, son, He's in sales. There were moments where he was out of a job. And I remember just being totally transparent, like coming home after school and him and my mom, they're just in tears talking to me like, hey, I I don't know how, but we're going to make it through. And can I tell you in Jesus' name, every time they did. Not just enough, not just enough to get by, but overflow, over in abundance. Here they are blessing people. He didn't expect me to shout him out like this. But, like, I just want you to know the weight of even growing up in a family. Like, I know what it feels like to walk home. Yes, I grew up in a middle-class family. To walk home and be like, we don't know for sure how this is all going to play out. And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're like, well, I'm dating someone, and I'm not really sure. I'm single. Like, it's not really, like, time for me yet. Can I tell you, in the valley, there is no better time to start giving. That is the best time. Why? Give in the valley so your heart is trained to give on the mountain. You know, it's really humbling when you only have a little to be entrusted with. Like, it's humbling as a new lead pastor to tell my family, I'm not sure how we're going to go on vacation. We have a generous congregation. Thank you so much. I'm using that as an example to shout you out. But like, it can be really humbling when like, as a 23, 24-year-old, I remember walking into the middle school ministry that God entrusted me with. And I was like ready to like, go do something else. And God was like, I'm entrusting you with a little. 
And can I tell you, first off, I fell in love with those fifth through eighth graders. One of them is running the slides right now. Shout out to Ethan. Come on, Ethan. Shout you out, bro. And, and God was teaching me so many things in that season. I fell in love with the ministry. But there's this quote from one of my favorite rappers. His name is KB. I do like rap, and I am wearing this jacket. Yes, you can think about that later. All right. KB says this. He says, mice turn to men when they learn to steward little. Let me just say that again. Mice turn to men when they learn to steward little. And it's a play on words, which is really dope, right? Stuart Little, anybody? Hey, that movie's annoying, man. I'm just, I'm just playing, bro. I actually don't even think I ever fully saw it. I tell that to Ben Spiro for every movie. I'm like, I don't think I fully saw it, but maybe. But the reason why he's saying that is because we mature when we learn to steward little. That when you have $1,000 in your bank account, maybe you're in the negative. Maybe you're like, there is no better time to start giving. Because... God cannot entrust you on the mountaintop if you have not been trained in the valley. He wants to bless you with more. He's not a scarcity God. He's not telling you every single day you're just going to suffer. You're never going to... Yes, there's moments in Scripture where we see the disciples lay down their lives. How do we balance the suffering that we're called to and also the prosperity that we're called to through the Old Testament and the New Testament? Like, how do you wrestle that God is going to call us to suffer and be blessed simultaneously? Isn't that interesting? But this is the kingdom of God. That, yes, we will suffer on Jesus' name, but we will be blessed on every occasion, abounding in every good work, to just be generous. So here's the third point. We'll be done in just a few moments. Are you tracking with me this morning? I love you, and as your pastor, it's my job to lead you through this. Verse, uh, uh, excuse me, point number three is wait well. Turn to your neighbor, just say, wait well. Turn to the person behind you, say, wait well. Make sure they're awake. Make sure they haven't tuned me out yet. So let's jump back into James. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield. Everybody just say, wait. Maybe you feel like you're in a waiting season right now. For the land to yield its valuable crop patiently, waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. There's a huge difference between these two things. You ready? Passive waiting and active waiting. And some of us are like, okay, I'm not really in a financial situation to do much. So like, I'm just going to wait for the job to come to me and like the, the, the rain to come from heaven. But like, there's this thing called free will where God is like, hey, Work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you, giving all of your glory and honor, not serving your boss as your master, but Jesus is your master, giving all to his glory. And then pray because it's totally out of your control at the same time. That God is fully in control and he gives us free will. And simultaneously we are cooperating. Just say cooperate. We are cooperating with God knowing that he has numbered our days, but he's still given us this wiggle room to make decisions, right? But active waiting, as you look at the the definition of what it means to wait upon the Lord, often it's this position of a servant. Isaiah 40, wait upon the Lord, right? He will renew your... But this isn't a passive waiting. This isn't, I just watch TV all day, just waiting for God to move, right? Right? It's, no, no, I, I'm actively serving him. I'm actively praying. I'm actually 
actively asking God, what is your will for me in Christ Jesus? And I'm obeying these steps, right? To take this step further, I say like this, between the promise and the miracle, obedience is in the gap. And God has given all of us a very specific promise, obviously of his son first and foremost. That's the greatest gift. Can I get an amen? Amen. At the end of the day, Jesus is the greatest gift. That's good news to some of us this morning. It's not more square footage. It's not a nicer car. It's not the next version of the Tesla. It is literally Jesus. When we meet him face to face and you are a believer, I promise you won't care about any of that anymore. That the old school hymn that says, everything else will grow strangely dim and the light of Christ will burn so bright. But between your miracle and the promise is your obedience. And some of you are like, God, why haven't you given me this yet? Have you obeyed him in the steps he's called you to? Got my bank account. It's still like negative. I don't know what I'm doing. But like, are you actively walking in financial obedience and generosity on every occasion? There are certain things that are still in your control. Are you with me? So James says it like this. Come back to the text. James 5, 9 through 12. Don't grumble against one another. Brothers and sisters, you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience and the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. If you're looking for a deeper study on this, just look up the story of Job. This man lost everything, and then God blessed him a hundredfold. Are you with me? That's towards the very end of his story. You should look into that. Job's perseverance and having seen that the Lord finally brought it all about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy above all. Brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, by earth, or by anything else. All you need is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. I think for some of us, our breakthrough this morning, yes, it might be a change of circumstances. In fact, if you are in financial need, listen to me. If you're watching online or in the room. If you're in the room, come talk to me after the service. I mean that. If there's any way we can help as a church to bless you, come talk to me. If you're watching online, shoot us a DM. But, but what I'm coming back to here for a second is your breakthrough might not be a change of circumstances. Your breakthrough might be just lifting your eyes and looking outside of yourself. Like we live in 2022 in a culture that is so obsessed and absorbed with self. And I'm not diminishing. You might feel depressed this morning and that may be a real biological thing you're struggling with. You might have been abused or wounded in something you're you're working. I'm not asking you to slap on a happy face. But what I'm saying is in this culture right now, I think it's pretty clear. We're all just looking inward all the time. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Your breakthrough today might just be looking to bless someone else. That, That God is so much bigger than just your circumstances. Like there's been times I go to work out at Planet Fitness. How many times have I talked about Planet Fitness? We're just being real. And I walk in literally discouraged. I'm thinking about myself, right? It can be really selfish sometimes to obsess over your own circumstances. It really can. And sometimes I'll walk in there. I'm like, oh, this is going on. This is going on. And then like God prompts me to encourage someone. And it's so interesting how that simultaneously is my breakthrough. That I look at someone and I say, hey, I hope you're having a good day. Like, like, is there anything I can pray for you for? Just asking, can I pray for you? Takes the focus off of yourself. That might be your breakthrough. So I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know how this hits you. I don't know if you're still upset with me and how I share this. I say that often. But I don't apologize because this is my job as your leader to lead you through this. 
And so I want to tell you a quick story. We'll be done in a second. There's a guy named George Mueller, and I've shared this story before. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller? So George is from the 1800s. I just got a laugh out of that. That's awesome. George was a pastor in the 1800s, full-time ministry to my knowledge. This is what my mentors have shared with me. And he was a full-time pastor, him and his wife. They were, they were pastoring people, and, and God called them to step down from their job, their source of income. And he actually felt a call from God to start bringing in all these orphans into his house. Anyone know this story? I don't know the exact number of orphans, but, but him and his wife were like, God, I don't know how in the world, but we're just going to trust you. And one by one, they just start bringing orphans in. They're taking care of them. They're blessing them, right? And all of a sudden, a knock on the door happens one day. And some person's literally cart broke down. Whatever they were riding back then, it wasn't a Tesla. I don't know what they were riding, okay? <laughs> but something broke down. This is seriously real. And they knock on the door and they said, hey, like my cart? What, what is it? Like, it's not horses. That the, okay, I don't know. Something. And they said, it just broke down. And I don't know what to do with these groceries. I have like extra milk and eggs. Like, can you just like... This is for you. A few days later, knock on the door. Hey, George, someone, I don't know why, I just felt like prompted in my heart to just give you these extra groceries. And then another knock, and then another knock. And then what do you think began to happen? He began to, uh, yeah, he began to expect the knock day after day. Why? Dependency, dependency leads to expectancy. The reason why some of us might not expect God to move in our situation is because we haven't put ourselves in a position to fully depend on him yet. And this is the situation. This is the beautiful thing that you begin to realize that I'm not my provider. My boss is not my provider. That paycheck that I'm expecting is not my provider. But Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh is my provider. So when I'm fully dependent on him, I'm expecting knocks all day long. Because he will take care of you and I, every single one of our needs. How much more will he clothe us? We just sang about. That's from Matthew chapter 6. The same chapter we were just talking about. I heard a pastor say it like this, Jimmy Rollins. He said, he felt like God told him this as he was praying. If you keep your hands open, I'll keep your hands full. He shared this at an art conference I'll never forget. So here's the last point. If you're taking notes and we'll be done Your kingdom investment is imperishable. Let's just read this together. Your kingdom investment is imperishable. There is a kingdom ROI that will never fade. Are you with me? Never perish, never spoil, kept for you. And one of the ways that you all have already been giving is to our missionaries in Czech Republic. You need to know this really clear. When we started one church, God did not call us to build our kingdom, but his kingdom. We don't need one church branding on it. We're not trying to build our kingdom. We're not trying to take over Westfield or Indianapolis. It doesn't matter what the name is on it. So we want to support missionaries. And there's one couple that we're already supporting, Phil and Christy Boardman. They have a son who's six. And he's, he has this quick update video for us. So why don't you just go ahead and watch this. Hey, One Church, this is Phil Boardman. On behalf of Phil and Christy, we are so thankful for you guys and your partnership And I believe you are the first to know that we just got our final clearance to head back to the Czech Republic. So we're so excited, uh, hopefully, to be back there by mid-November and uh, settle back in. We are really excited to see how God has been working 
uh, on the ground in the Czech Republic, in our town. Uh, he's been working in our home church. He's been working uh, in the lives of English students. We're so excited to join back in that. We ask that you would pray uh, for our transition uh, and our six-year-old son as well as we head back there and that um, we'd have tons of opportunities this holiday season to share uh, love, the love of Christ, and um, our lives with other people in the Czech Republic. Thank you so much for who you are and being on our team. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, so can we go to the picture of the camp, Ethan? So what he didn't share in that video, what he emailed me, you all got to know this. We're for the one. Everybody say for the one. We started this church not to compete with other churches, but to reach the one. We're not trying to build our kingdom. We're trying to see lost people come to Christ. The Czech Republic is one of the most atheistic places in the whole world. Like, you think people aren't down with Jesus here? The Czech Republic, like, you don't really have spiritual conversations. God is not really a thing in their minds there, right? From this English camp, as a part of your support, there was one person who accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Can we give it up for that? That's amazing. It says, in heaven... A party is being thrown for that person. Angels are rejoicing, right? We might think one life is always one life. It was one life entered into the kingdom of heaven forever. God celebrates that. He throws a party for that. Another way that you've been giving and helping us expand is, can we go to the student student impact pictures here? So this was uh, yesterday. And uh, Brittany, can you just raise your hand back there? Is Emily here today? No, maybe she's not. So, okay, no? Okay, Brittany is, uh, is really, really just pouring her life into student impact. She and Danielle uh, Easterhouse and Emily Horkay, they're a part of this. We got to host in here, I don't know how many players, 100 player coaches or so and their dads. We had 1,000 wings. Hey, 1,000 buffalo wings. You th- hey, you think these guys couldn't eat some wings, right? We had a little bit of extra. Don't be mad at me, all right? But these, okay, check out Sam right here. These are the guys who volunteered for this. But what's so cool is, is a part of your giving, helping one church. You're not giving to us. You're giving through us. Are you with me? We're not a lake. We're a river. When you give here, you're giving through us so that we can say, where are the places? Not just in Jerusalem, are you with me? But in Judea. And Samaria to the ends of the earth. We have three lanes a local, a national, and a global lane that we want to give. And because of your giving, we're able to, to host instead of hoarding to ourselves and say we could have a, a better production or something. We said, How can we host these players? How can we host this basketball league that we're going to be partnered with at the Pacers Athletic Center? We have 10 mentors. Can you praise the Lord for that? 10 mentors from this church who are saying, Hey, I'm not just obsessed with myself. I'm willing to look outside these four walls and say, who are the people that just need a word of encouragement? So we're so excited to partner with what they're doing. Would you stand to your feet this morning? So Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. I feel like this is a great sending for us. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says it like this. And you who are also included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. Everybody say a deposit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance forever and forever. And I really believe this. 
in, in Scripture where it says Jesus knocks at the door. Anybody familiar with that in Revelation? It says Jesus stands and he knocks at the door. That is an amazing thing for some and a frightful thing for others. He knocks at the door, but he is so patient. Everybody just say patient. He's so patient with us. But here is the question I have for you. I imagine, right? Anybody order like Grubhub lately or something? Okay. What do you do when that gets here? First off, you're like checking your your door alarm. What's that thing called? Uh, Google? Anybody else? I feel old. Okay. All right. So so we're like, who's at the door? Okay. Maybe you're checking from a different state. Okay. It's not Grubhub. It's Amazon. Okay. Right. And, and, And all day long, just hang with me. We will look through that peephole or that camera for our provision. But here's the question I have for you. What if just Jesus was standing at the door? Would you let him in? It wasn't the Amazon package. It wasn't the provision of a new car or a new job. It was Christ standing at the door of your life and he knocks with grace and with mercy and with patience because when it's all said and done, this isn't about money. This is about your relationship with God. And so if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he was the ultimate gift that was given to you. As we get closer to Christmas, he was the gift that you and I could never earn or deserve. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross for you and I. He wore a crown of thorns. He was pierced to two pieces of wood for you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He he had tears coming down his face. He had blood dripping down. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I just want to share that message that not only did he die for you, but he rose for you three days later because this is the ultimate gift. And all you have to do this morning is just receive it and just say, yes, here am I, Lord, send me. So would you bow your heads this morning? Father, I thank you that you are who you say you are. That you stand at the door and you knock but you do it with so much grace. And you don't force your way in, but you're patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So with heads bowed, with anyone who's watching online or in the room right now, and you want to make a decision to give Jesus your life, to just say yes to the gift of salvation, that you would be saved this morning. You would not spend eternity in hell apart from him, but you would spend eternity with your Savior. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, just raise your hand this morning. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. If that's you, just raise your hand and look at me. I see your hand. Anybody else that wants to make that decision? And for the believers in the room, that maybe you're in a situation where you just feel in bondage to a scarcity mindset. Maybe there's something generationally that needs to break off in this moment. Maybe there's some fear that I will never have enough to give. I'll never have enough. But God says, I'm a God of abundance. If that's you this morning, you just need a breakthrough. Would you just raise a hand right now? Anybody else? I see the hands going up. There's no shame. God, you see the hands lifted in this room. And for the other believers who did not raise their hand, I just challenge you to intercede in your heart with me as I pray. God, I just ask right now in Jesus' name, we demolish any stronghold in the name of Jesus of fear, of insecurity, of doubt that God could never, he might not ever. God says yes and amen.
This is not the prosperity gospel. This is just the provision of your Lord and Savior to bless you in every good work. That He would make His face shine upon you. That He would bless not only your family, but as generational strongholds are being broken, He would bless your kids and your kids' kids. That you would be a generational chain breaker this morning. In Jesus' name, Lord, we just say yes and amen. Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord one shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He is Jireh. We're going to end this service by just singing this last song, The One That You Love. John said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we sing this song intentionally as we're sent out because this is not about behavior modification. This isn't about trying harder, praying harder, doing more. This is about actually falling in love with Jesus, giving him everything, and just knowing my Father will take care of me. Let's worship together.